Hi guys, I'm Brad Montgomery, and welcome to The Breakdown. And here we talk about science, investing, and psychology. Today we're talking about the UTEP Chihuahuan Desert Gardens to give you an idea of plants and trees that may do better for your yard or for your garden. Before we get started, if you missed us, you can always catch any of our episodes by going to kfoxtv.com. Now let's break it down. And we're talking about the Chihuahuan Desert Gardens at UTEP Botanical Curator. I'm here with Kevin Floyd. And thank you so much for joining us today, Kevin. We got a lot to talk about. I think, though, we do have a viewer question. Yes, we do, Brad. So uh, I actually went to the Chihuahuan Desert Gardens uh, when I was a student. Uh, what, what can we expect? Like, I know kids go there for school, but what do you got in general? Yeah, you know, there's kind of an all, they kind of, basically tell you all ages can go check it out. What would you, what do you say to that and what do you recommend? Yeah, so definitely all ages can be there. Yesterday we had um, a family come through. So, you know, kids probably under under 10, we've had grandparents, the whole, whole family, whole age range. Um, the gardens are just part of the UTEP campus. So we're open to the public. Anyone can, anyone and everyone can come by. All right, sounds good. And before we get into some of the best ways that you can kind of utilize what you see when you go down there, because you do have a lot of stuff to check out, the, the gardens were established in 1999 and certified as a Texas wildscape site. What does that mean for the gardens itself and what does it mean for Utah? So the gardens were a, a passion project by Wynn Anderson, who was um, a UTEP um, institution, basically. He was a, a self-taught botanist who actually collected a lot of the plants and just was super passionate about the gardens, uh, or about native plants, and was able to take the space around the Centennial Museum and, and redesign it to be the Chihuahuan Desert Gardens. Um, he's collected plants from Mexico, from all parts of the, the Chihuahuan Desert, um, which is pretty, I think, pretty interesting. That, that we have stuff that isn't just, you know, not just stuff from the Franklins, but stuff from the Sierra Madres and, and down into Mexico as well. So not just our part. Yeah. But the, yeah, that's really, that's really unique. Yeah. And, and as, as a curator in the, in the botanical gardens, what, what does that job entail for you? Because you're, you're like kind of over this whole thing now. Yeah, so the curator, I mean, we, we take care of the plants. That's the main thing in the collection. And so um, my job is to figure out which plants we're going to keep in the gardens, which plants we're going to um, look to acquire. Um, if we are able to expand or find some new spots to tuck plants, we're always looking for a new place to put a new cool plant. It's always, always a tough challenge. Um, and so we're, we're looking at sort of that sort of collection management piece of it. The, the plants are a living collection. We know where most of them came from. We know what their history is. Um, we get researchers sometimes that say, we need an oak and you, we know where yours is from, or can you give us a leaf sample of it because we're using it for a genetic study um, to figure out what's going on with, with this oak species. Um, so we're a living collection for that. Um, and then Which is kind of nice because they don't have to hunt it down in the wild. Exactly. They can yeah. Go there. Yeah. Botanical gardens are a great resource for for research, not just you know the education and the pleasure of visiting. Interesting. Yeah. And we also just do day to day maintenance. Yesterday we had two irrigation lines that broke, and we had some um, agave weevils we were battling, and weeds to pull, and Pests. plants to prune. So all the stuff that a home gardener might do, we're also doing that work as well. And what is? And this is kind of a, a multi part question because you know, people sometimes want to know what's the best time of year to go to the gardens, but 
you, you can get, glean something from different seasons, I would imagine, when you do go. So what would you see in the summer, in the spring, the fall, and the winter even? Yeah, so definitely there's there's never really a bad time um, unless it's super hot out and you're going <laughs> later in the day. Right. Um, but in the winter, you see some of the really cool like seed heads from the grasses that are still left, um, the structure of some of the plants, like some really interesting trees and shrubs once they've lost their leaves. There's also a lot of plants that don't lose their leaves in the winter um, or plants that the berries are most exposed at that point. Um, spring is great. We actually have a lot of the Mexican gold poppies that everyone goes to the northeast to see. We've got a lot of those. Just that spring flush of flowers is always great. Um, we're starting to transition sort of into monsoon. Hopefully, you know, we continue to get some nice rain so we get our, our spring or our summer wildflowers that are starting to, to grow. But also a lot of our plants, I think the, the rain sage is probably the one that people are most familiar with in town that it rains and three days later there's purple everywhere. And so just seeing, Gorgeous. yeah, just seeing that response of the plants to the rain and to the changes in the season is really, really interesting. I, and I've noticed here since living here that the native and non-native plants, it's almost like if you have a decent monsoon as far as rainfall goes, it's almost like a second spring. Yeah, definitely. You know, I've seen some trees, some even hardwoods will start to grow again, and mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting. So I can imagine, yeah, coming after a decent rain or a healthy monsoon season mm -hmm. rainfall-wise, it would be very beautiful in the summer, and the fall yeah. maybe. Yeah, you? fall, I mean, I think fall is the best time in El Paso because the weather has cooled yeah. down a little bit, everything's still green, um, so it's a great time for the, for the gardens. We do have a lot of fall-blooming flowers, but we're also starting to see like the oaks and the maples change color. So we do get some really nice red color um, in the plants that you don't always see around town. And what, you know, so we're talking about ages, what ages and roughly how many people do you have come through there on a yearly basis? Yeah, so we've got um, people of, like I said, people of all ages. We have school groups that come through. We had uh, kindergartners visiting last week um, and we've done um, Ollie programs, which is the, the group at UTEP that does, um, I forget the age cutoff, but basically it's for, for older people that are still doing lifelong learning. So okay. people that are still, you know, they're retired, they want to learn about gardening or, or French or any number of things in the course, but we have, you know, those programs come through as well. Um, so we get all ages. Visitors is tough because we're open to the public. We don't really have a way to, to capture right. everybody that comes through, but I'm sure we get thousands of people coming through, especially once the, the semester starts and students are back on campus. Um, you know, it's a great place for students to, to hang out. It's got some cool corners, you know, to take a break in between classes. I've seen them having lunch. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great lunch spot. Um, you know, people on their phone, just people hanging out, having coffee, um, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I'd say for just the average El Paso one to go down and check it out because, you know, especially with, you know, climate change, you look at doing your yard, maybe you want to head that direction, kind of prepping it and making your life a little bit easier, maybe not getting something that's so borderline for our area, maybe something that's a little tougher, yeah. you know, and you end up with some of this Texas tougher desert stuff, plants and trees that can actually withstand the heat, the cold blast, mm -hmm. the excessive rainfall the lack of rainfall, that everything that we get in this part of the world, we have an incredible variety of weather. I mean, sometimes it is literally like desert weather. And then other times we get a lot of tropical moisture in here and we get downpours that you might see farther east, you know, yeah. uh, it's so it's pretty incredible. So what would you say to maybe like a homeowner who's, you know, maybe looking to landscape their yard, you can go down there and maybe get some ideas or yeah, yeah. So we've got, I mean, 
One of our, our goals of the garden is to do a lot of education and be a demonstration garden for people just like you're saying. So we have a lot of the plants that do really well in our area. They are plants that live in the Franklins and can survive in basically anything we throw at them. Right. Um, we do have, you know, there's a few plants that are, you know, maybe the more, you know, southern Mexican species that don't handle the freezes very well without okay. protection. But, you know, most of the plants, we only cover just a handful of plants. So most everything else um, is exposed to whatever, whatever we're exposed to. Um, so it's a really good resource for that. We do, um, so a lot of desert plants can handle drought. We do water all of ours. All of our plants are on irrigation and they sort of vary it based on um, sort of what the plant is, what its needs are, um, as along with along with what the weather has been doing. So um, a lot of our plants, it, it's largely, you know, the creosote will survive with or without the water, right. but it'll look a lot better if you give it a little bit extra water. So some of it's not necessarily the survival, but the health of it. The health and the just appearance. the general appearance, yeah. So if you've got it in your yard, you maybe don't want it to go dormant in May, like right. a lot of the plants in there natively would do. It'll look less scrubby with the yeah. extra water. And I've noticed yeah. that too. And, and another thing I've noticed, and it's kind of interesting, you don't see stark examples very often, but people think, oh, well, if I plant some of the native stuff, it's gonna take forever to grow. Not necessarily the case. You know, you look at some of the acatillo in people's yards. Mm -hmm. I mean, they've, if they get regular water, mm -hmm. you know, you don't wanna overwater, of course, right. but you know, here they're, they're acclimated to our rainfall, which is about, you know, seven to nine inches across the county maybe slightly higher in the Franklins but but you look at that and you look at some of these plants that that maybe get water maybe twice a month maybe three times a month through the year they can actually grow fairly quickly yeah so you can speed it up by just giving them a little extra water too yeah yeah regular watering is is good you do again depends on the plant some right. plants really don't like wet roots um, but you can sometimes fix that with drainage and, and I've seen that when you mentioned yeah. with the creosote and you know in some people's yards some of the best looking creosote you've ever seen are sitting in some people's front yards yeah. who do happen to, to water it. Yeah. I want to mention and talk about a couple of these plants because, you know, a lot of times you think, okay, and, and I want to get this out there. This is very important. I, oh, I don't want to go to the show on this. I don't want to see a bunch of cactus. That's not the case. And, and I, I knew that going down there, but I was still blown away by the number of what you would call leafy plants, leafy shrubs and leafy trees that are native to the Chihuahuan Desert. That's right, leafy trees. Some stay evergreen, some are deciduous, but it is it is not all cactus by any stretch. In fact, I would say you, you, you lean more to the, to the trees and shrubs mm -hmm. side of things. And so let's go over a couple. One of them, the Canyon Senna, it's, it's got a nice yellow flower on it, and it's actually a sizable flower. Looks to me in some ways almost better than the Palo Verde. It's probably going to be hardier than the Palo Verde, I would imagine, mm -hmm. since it's a Chihuahuan native. Talk a little bit about that one. Do you recommend that one to people or in the size of that one? How's it do in the garden? Yeah, so it does great. It's definitely one of my favorite plants. Um, it's a shrub that probably gets to be maybe eight feet tall, I'd say is about what it maxes out at. Um, the yellow flowers are through the entire summer. So if, if it's really hot, maybe it stops flowering a little bit. But as soon as we get a little bit more moisture, it's flowering again. Um, it's in the, the pea family, the bean family. So the flowers look like a pea flower I if you have that, peas yeah. in, your, in your yard. Um, one of the cool things, there's um, bumblebees and carpenter bees do something called buzz pollination where they actually will go to the flower and like vibrate and it's like shaking the pollen out of a salt shaker oh, and this is one of the plants that I see them doing that at so it's a cool like if you have that in your yard you can also like see some cool um, like biological interactions as well and you know a lot of people like to plant 
mimosa and they do okay here mm -hmm. but there's several trees that have kind of a leaf similar to that kind of the feathery mm -hmm. foliage look one of them i saw the sonoran kidney wood mm -hmm. and that one is maybe a sonoran chihuahua native but still does pretty good for mm -hmm. our area yeah yeah so we have three species of kidney wood actually so okay. we've got the sonoran there's a texan and a spiny and the the texan and the sonoran both get to be again trees maybe you know 15 20 feet tall um that leafy foliage or the sort of feathery foliage you're talking about is actually an adaptation for desert plants that the those fine little leaflets actually don't lose as much water so oh. those big like magnolia leaves yeah, that you think leaves. about in the east yeah. like that's just all water evaporation sites right. so our desert plants tend to have smaller leaves or leaflets like you're talking about um, but yeah those are great plants they have little white flowers or, or flower clusters that bees love like when they're flowering there's pollinators all over them bees and butterflies and and they have a really nice scent too and and how much so if you had one of those in your yard for example because they do kind of mimic a mimosa, I'm guessing they would need less water yeah what would you recommend maybe like supplemental water let's say we have a drier monsoon yeah maybe what twice a month, maybe three times a month? Yeah, or? so you want to really be careful in talking about established plants versus establishing plants. Okay. So a lot of times I know people hear native plant, you don't need to water it. And they buy it, they put it in the ground, they don't water Walk it. away from it. And the plant dies. <laughs> right. And so anytime you're establishing a plant, you need to water it more frequently. Um, once they're established, they could probably get by, you know, once, once a week, maybe once every other week, okay. um, depending on what the rainfall and temperature is like. Um, but yeah, and anything when we're talking about trees, it's always um, slow flow, long period. So you want that water to be able to soak into yeah, the, the roots. Deep, deep, yeah. yeah, so just spritzing them every day is is the worst thing for the for the plants, native and non-native. And the fernleaf Santa Rita acacia, mm -hmm. that one more of a chihuahua, one, probably similar story. Very gorgeous foliage mm -hmm. on it. Looks similar to the honey mesquite. Uh, with kind of that feathery appearance, but even more so. I think the honey mesquite has a little bit of a weepier look to it. Yeah. Uh, this one, probably recommended as well. Does this one kind of lean about the same as the others as far as yeah. maybe supplemental watering, or can this one survive on a rainfall alone? Or? Same with the supplemental. This one actually is a little bit cold sensitive, so okay. it's one that if we do get cold snaps, it, it may die back to the ground. The one that you see at the garden right now used to be three times as tall, I think. And it got, two years ago? Yeah, two years ago, knocked it back, and it's regrowing. A lot of our plants will, re, they're root hardy. Root hardy. Yeah. Um, so it's one that if you're really looking for a good structural plant, probably not great unless you're in a more protected area. That's okay. also, you know, there's different parts of town. Some people might have, you know, a south, south facing wall right. that absorbs a lot of heat. All the microclimates matter as well. Um, but there's some other acacias. There's catclaw acacia and some others that are more native that Stronger. if you saw them in the mountains, you might just think they're a shrub, but kind of like mesquites. If you see mesquites in the desert, they just look like shrubs, but that extra water plus the pruning, you can really turn things into, into trees. Shape them real nice. Yeah. Now, one that I saw, it's speaking of, kind of being shaped nice just on its own, and I was surprised to see it there, um, the graceful oak. Mm. And that one, how tall can that one get? I mean, it's it's... Yeah. Really pretty leaves. Almost looks like an oak you would see maybe toward the Midwest, you yeah. know, areas east of here. I was, it was a beautiful tree. Yeah, I don't know what they top out at. Ours is, I want to say, 30 feet tall okay, and, yes. and growing. Like, it is it is growing well. And it, it's a beautiful shape, too. Like you said, with no pruning, it's got a really nice upright shape yeah. to it. Um, maybe better than a Bradford pear. <laughs> yeah, anything's better than a Bradford right? pear, That's yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a really nice one. And, and there's that oak, and just oaks in general tend to be pretty, you know, at least there's a lot of oak diversity in the Southwest. And so you can find species that'll 
And we're we're going to well. go over some of the others too, yeah. because there are a lot, and that's what some people don't realize how many there are mm-hmm. right through the desert southwest, right up to actually the west coast mm-hmm. even. But this one here, maybe one of the faster growing. It seems to be, yeah. So you know, it's whatever, 30 feet tall, yeah. and it was planted maybe 10 years ago. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. So that's a nice thing also with the garden. We're 20 years old, so you know, pretty much anything you see is less than 20 years old. And we didn't plant anything as full-size trees. Like right. we were all planted maybe 15 gallon, you know, six foot tall see, trees. Come along. Yeah. So you can really see changes, and we're we're working. There's a lot of old pictures that I'm working on getting digitized and put on the website to do that side by side comparison of like, this is what it looked like in '99, 2000. This is what it looks like today. Cool. Now, there's one I wanted to mention as well here. There's actually there's actually quite a few. There was one called, before we get to the Texas pistache, I want to continue on the oak theme here. The Mexican blue oak, very nice looking tree. I mean, yeah. you've got the, the trunk of an oak, so you mm-hmm. think of that dark kind of furled kind of bark across the trunk, and then it's got these bluish silver leaves. Yeah. I guess that helps as far as the heat goes and the sun. And Yeah, a lot of those are reflective. So anytime you see like the silvery leaf or a bluer leaf, it's to be able to reflect some of that sun. Um, for most of the plants in the Southwest, um, lack of sun is not a problem. So it's really trying to keep them from overheating. So you see the, the, the um, silveriness, the hairs, that kind of stuff that reflects the light. And how long, this Mexican blue oak, do you know how long it's been there and roughly how tall it is? Right now, it's probably a good 20, 25 feet tall. Again, a really nice shape, and I think it was it was one of the original plants, I believe, so it's probably about 20 years old. Yeah. Slower grower. Yeah, but yeah, beautiful plant. Yeah. Definitely one where you know, we'd like to get acorns from and try to grow and be able to you know, have it for people that are interested. Texas Mountain Laurel. Now that one has been picked up by the nursery mm-hmm. trade. We were talking before we came on about some plants that haven't and have. That one's been around in the nursery trade for quite a while from here to San Antonio. I mean, in that thing, you can throw Dallas-Fort Worth, you can throw cold, mm-hmm. heat, drought. Yeah. I mean, it it really totally hardy to our area. I heard there was possibly a disjunct population mm. in the Franklins, but that's something I do want to look more into. But I know yeah. it's not far from here where they're more widespread. Right. Uh, just what, east southeast of here. Yeah, yeah, they're a little bit more eastern. I've heard the same thing that there were some either seen or collected in the Franklins. That I'd love to check out where where that actually is, yeah. see if they're still there. Um, it's the plant that has the um, purple flowers in the spring that smells kind of like grape bubble gum. They do, yeah. Um, it's amazing. You're like, no, it doesn't. And then you smell it. You're like, yep, that is grape. Um, they're a little bit slow growing, but they're a great shape. They've got evergreen foliage. Um, we did notice last year the freeze we had that was in our garden down to about 20 degrees for the for the overnight. It did kill off the buds. Okay. The tree was fine, but it didn't flower. But then this year, I feel like it had extra energy right. and, and it flowered true. flowered really well. Beautiful, and yeah, you can't miss them around town. Those, I want to say, they flower. When it starts to get just a little hot, what, April into early May around then? Yeah, they're definitely spring flowers, but not the first in the spring. Right, yeah. just gorgeous clusters, almost like a wisteria mm-hmm. yeah, type of a flower. Yeah, they look like, exactly like wisteria. And then we've got, so everyone, a lot of people have seen the Mexican pistache, and I'll describe that one to you. It's, it's a nice looking tree, has a very nice shape to it, almost ash type leaves. They get the orange, the, the real fiery colors in the fall. You can't miss them in the fall. And they don't, people like it because they don't have a lot of basically fruit drop or seed drop. They're very, very small. But a lot of people don't realize there's one native to the Chihuahuan Desert in Texas, the Texas pistache. Similar look to it, the leaves and the foliage a little more compact. And it's got on its own right, it's a very good looking tree. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them. We have the one in our garden, it's 
again, maybe 15 feet tall. We actually have to cut a lot, like do a lot of pruning on them because it's cut, it's um, shading out a lot of the plants underneath it. But it's also they're planted all around the undergraduate learning center on campus okay. just to get you know some more options. But um, yeah, all of ours are a little bit more shrubby than tree, like a lot yeah. of them are. But they've got like the, the trunks. You could definitely prune them into be more of a, a shade tree. Um, they do produce a lot of seed, but. Um, as a nature lover, that's a good thing. Like that's a great plant for birds. So we always are seeing birds in there um, eating the seeds, and and so you deal with a little bit of the mess, but the reward is that you get the the beauty of the birds in your backyard. And how do they do they color up quite as much as the Chinese pistachio? I don't think so. Okay. I don't. Okay. It doesn't. Like thinking back, I'm like, yeah, I don't remember that thing and being like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So I think they turn a little bit of color, but not as not that's as fiery. Yeah. yeah. Still a beautiful tree, yeah. Texas pistache, and we've got evergreen sumac, mm -hmm. and that one's that one is a very pretty one as well for the area. How did that one do with some of the the harder freezes? Does it lose its leaves or does it still maintain? It, it's a bulletproof plant. Oh, it's wow. great. Yeah, it's done really well. It's a pretty fast grower. Um, evergreen, like beautiful shrub, dark green leaves. Um, it has really nice white flowers, and then it has little red fruits that are actually, they taste kind of like um, lemonade. So they've oh. got just kind of a lemony tart um, flavor to them. So I know some people would use them to make, you know, like basically make a, a lemonade out of it. And this one we were talking about before, I was actually speaking of the, I was looking for the fruit on this one, the Texas persimmon. Mm -hmm. And I've heard the stories, it gets these little globes, and they're very, very good. I saw two that were ripe when I was down there at the Chihuahuan Gardens. One of them was way up there. I couldn't get to it. The rest of them were green. They weren't mm -hmm. ripe yet. Tell tell us about this tree. You know, where, where does it come from? How tall does it get? When does it fruit? I mean, why don't we see more of this tree in the trade, in the nursery trade? That's a great question. It's um, a little bit more east of us, so it's in Chihuahuan Desert, but more to the, the eastern side. So mm -hmm. I don't know if there's any native, like look growing natively around here. Okay. Um, it's probably, again, maybe a 10 to 15 foot tall tree. Um, the fruits are, it's producing fruits now. They ripen in the fall. They turn um, like a, a dark purple black. Yeah. Um, they taste great. How like, big are they? Um, big grape cherry tomato, okay. like somewhere in that size. Um, they've got basically where the stem attaches, you pull that off, you squeeze it into your mouth. This, this, the, um, what is it? The skin is a little bit hard to eat. Um, it's got some seeds, but it's, you know, it's the fun. You just kind of suck the fruit off of it and then spit the seeds out. Um, it grows really well. You do have to battle birds over it. That's the challenge with the fruit about trees. That. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But yeah, we actually, I've got one in my yard now that we got last year, just, or actually this spring, just as kind of a like, we just got to have one. Like right. it's just a cool, yeah. a cool tree. I think so. It's got good fruit on top. Yeah, and I think like I feel like a lot of people were really kind of breeding mess out of plants. Like it's always the seedless this and the You're seedless right. that, yeah. and it's that people don't want the the mess necessarily. But you know the fruits in this case they're edible, so it's a treat for for the people. But again, it's also you know food for wildlife. Like you mentioned, we're a wildlife you know a certified wildlife garden, and that's part of it is providing those resources for for the birds and other wildlife. And as far as where you actually see it, is the Chihuahuan area that, that you actually could see it maybe growing closer to maybe the Big Bend? Yeah, I think is so. That, okay, yeah. southeast. Yeah. And then the Mexican olive. Now this one I heard about from San Antonio all the way down through deep south mm -hmm. Texas. I mean, this one actually has a pretty wide range. And in areas farther north, it's what they call root hardy mm -hmm. as well, where a strong winter can whack it back, but then it, it sprouts 
uh, and starts kind of starts all over. Maybe yeah. that's more in its northern range. Yeah. So I don't know much about the Mexican olive. When I went to go see it at the gardens, and again, I recommend anyone go down there. They got so much stuff to check out. But I did see it had some fruit on mm -hmm. it as well. Is that just for wildlife or talk about the fruit, the tree, how big it gets, how cold hardy it is? Yeah, so it's a tree, it's not really, it maybe barely touches into the Chihuahuan Desert. It's really more of a, a South Texas species. Um, it does, you know, we've had, it hasn't died in the freezes that we've had, but it has had some leaf damage, okay. but it's grown back. It hasn't gone to the ground, like it's been pretty much okay, but we do have it up against a wall. Like again, think about a microclimate that, that protects it a little bit. Um, the flowers are gorgeous. I don't know if it was flowering when you were there, no, but, but it's white flowers, right? Yeah, and big, maybe like two or three inches across, um, and they smell nice. So it's a really beautiful plant. Um, the fruits, I've read that they're edible if you cure them, like a lot of olives. So uh, they would need it. to be cured. Okay. Um, but I've also heard they're not that good. <laughs> so it's not so, worth the time. Yeah. So it's more like good for wildlife. Worth trying if you're adventurous. If you if you cure them the right way, yeah. And then I want to I want to get to a couple more. The the one that I want to hit on really quickly, and it's kind of a little mention here, is going to be the Texas Madrone. Mm. But before I get to that one, I want to talk about the Arizona White Oak, mm -hmm. uh, native through here. How does it do? You know, with without supplemental watering, is it one that can be a little more hands free? How tall does it get? How cold hardy for that one? Yeah, I think with that one, it's um, at a little bit higher elevation, so okay. it can handle the cold. It probably needs a little bit more water because of that. Typically, it. if it's a higher elevation plant, the higher elevations have more water or cooler, so bring them down here. You've got to Make you know baby them a little bit. Um, but again, nothing needs that much babying for, for what's in the garden. Um, it's, let's see, ours is, it's slower growing, I, I will say that, like okay. it's, um... More like a live oak kind of? Uh, yeah, because I think ours is now, what, maybe 10 feet tall? Um, so it's definitely not a, a big plant, but, um, it's a really nice, you know, shape for a shrub, and then if you've got the time, it'll get to be a, a bigger tree. I think most of those are probably in the 20 to 30 foot, um, size about. when they max out, okay. yeah. Yeah, because live oaks slow growing, but they can actually become huge over yeah. time, some of those Texas live oaks. And, so, and then the Texas Madrone. Now these trees, you can't miss them. Well, if, you, if you're kind of looking out, if you drive from here to Carlsbad and you go through the Guadalupe Mountains, you see these pale bark trees, evergreens, sometimes have gorgeous red kind of showy fruit, um, almost reminiscent the bark of a eucalyptus. Yeah. So, so the benefits of those trees, you got probably the fruit for the wildlife, mm -hmm. and then just the tree structure itself. What, what, tell us about the Madrone, Texas Madrone. Yeah, so it's a plant, like if you've ever done the, the McKittrick Canyon hike in the Guadalupe's, <laughs> like that's the plant that you see, that it, it's a gorgeous plant. It's a little bit rough for our area. It's, um, it likes it a little bit cooler than what we've got. Um, so ours is on the north side of the building, so it gets more protection. Um, it a can- more shade. A little bit more shade. Yeah. It doesn't get as much direct sun, because, um, you know, a full sun plant in our area is that that's a that's a real tough plant and, and the madrone just isn't there um, so if you've got the right spot for it it's worth trying we have had we definitely had mixed success like the one we've got now is doing great um, it's growing well everything is good but we've gone through several that did not make it and it tends to be more susceptible to disease so okay. if you're doing any pruning on it you have to be really careful about cleaning your your snips before you do anything uh -huh. um, you don't want to really mess around the ground so um, it's I would say you know if a if an oak is like a beginner's plant okay. like this is the advanced gardener plant you yeah. really need to know what's going on so but the reward not... is a gorgeous plant so yeah. um, how much will it's like how much are you willing to put into it <laughs> and and you know just real quick on that you talk about 
for some of these and some of the more sensitive plants in general that are more susceptible to disease, how, how do you recommend disinfecting your pruning equipment? Uh, just alcohol is fine. Okay. So, you know, a 70% alcohol, you Not know, if you've got, yeah, <laughs> that's more important for other things. <laughs> right. You got that leftover hand sanitizer that we all bought so much right. of, right? You can use that. Okay. Um, you can use uh, bleach. Um, I know a lot of people will actually carry, I mean, bleach can get on your clothes and cause problems. So I think alcohol is preferred. You can either get the, the packets with the wipes and just clean them off between cuts or you can spritz them down. Um, yeah, anything like that. It's just good habit anyway to get into because you never know going from one plant to the next um, what you what might you be transferring. Transfer, okay. And okay, so we went over some of the plants and some of the trees, uh, some of the ones that actually bear edible fruit, mm -hmm. which is incredible to know that you can have something native that does that here yeah. and it's actually pretty tasty. Um, so where can go, we're, we're gonna talk about a couple more things here because there's one thing that's very important that you're now doing twice a year, you've been doing twice a year now, it's the Florifest. But yeah. before we get to that, just on the desert gardens, the Chihuahuan desert gardens themselves, where can people go to get a little more information? Sure, so our website is um, museum.utep.edu and you can find the link to the gardens in there. Um, so you can learn learn about them there. The garden, we were part of the you know the Centennial Museum. We actually have a parking lot behind the museum, so you know parking at UTEP can sometimes be a bit of a challenge. But we've got a lot, so anybody coming in during you know business hours can just tell the person at the the parking control just you're here to visit the gardens, and they'll they'll let you in and we'll give you a pass. So um, it's, that's right. I think I believe I went for the second floor. Yep, you go, go to the second floor in, talk to just say we need a pass for visiting the gardens or visiting the museum, and and they'll they'll hook you. Up and, and it's very easy so I know a lot of times I hear from people that don't want to visit UTEP because of you know just headaches with parking and traffic and and student you know all of that stuff but we're easy to get to we're right at the beginning of campus so super easy to visit the gardens are basically open dawn to dusk so you can come by whenever you want um, free free entertainment um, yeah, that's great. see and, what you can plant in your yard and certainly and the rest of the campus is really beautiful as well so you know we put a plug the UTEP just did the centennial the centennial plaza transformation about it was 2015 and a lot of the landscaping was actually designed based off of the Chihuahua Desert Gardens it was the inspiration for the the landscape architect so a lot of the plants you'll see in the gardens are being incorporated in the rest of the campus as well so you get the beauty can help save water and yeah. can handle the heat the cold etc yep. yeah okay so now let's jump into Florifest because that is something that's just amazing. That, that actually gives you a chance to purchase kind of some of these plants that are not just native and might do better here, but they're harder to find in the nursery trade. So yeah. going from once a year, I think it was every spring. Mm -hmm. So now what are we looking at as far as Florifest? Yeah, so Florifest, we started last year doing a spring and a fall um, sale. Spring was the traditional, I think it started in the 90s actually, before the garden, um, the gardens even existed. But we've been doing that every year and it's, it's a great event. Um, we do try to get in plants like you're talking about that are that we know will do well. Like we're not gonna bring in stuff. Or if, if it's something that's maybe root hardy, we'll warn people like, hey, this is gonna die back to the ground, but don't worry about it. Just cut off the dead foliage in the spring and, and it'll be fine. Um, so we bring those plants in, but we also have master gardeners available. So it's a place where you can get good advice about plants as well. Um, and we started doing fall because first of all, we had such demand last year. Like we were planning on a two day sale like always and we sold out within the it's first gone. like four hours. And, and we're like, well, people want plants. And, and fall is such a great time to plant, especially trees and shrubs, because it's if you plant in the spring, you have to put a lot of care in to keep that plant going through the hot and the winds. 
plant them in the fall, it's still warm, the plants can still grow, establish a little bit, but then it goes, it's cooler, it's less stress for them, and then they're ready to go in the, in the spring. So um, the fall sale, again, it, it's, we'll do a one day sale, um, bring in, you know. Oh, it's just down to one day now. Yeah, so we, we, we can't bring in enough plants. Right, People want plants like, too much. Yeah. I remember the, the couple of years that I went, I remember the lines being longer and long. I mean, it was something else. Yeah. So one day sale, and when, when is it going to be? So this fall, we're gonna do October 1st. Okay. Um, it'll be at the uh, UGLC Plaza, which is basically behind the gardens, in between the gardens and the undergraduate learning center, which is the, the typical place. So if anyone sort of knows where it is, that's, that's its home. Um, the doors open at nine. Last spring, we had people lining up at like 7.15 to get stuff, which again, I, early. it blows my mind. Like it's so overwhelming that yeah. people are so, are so but passionate the, the about the selection is just amazing. And you know, to just be able to walk into a place where you're gonna get stuff that is more likely to do well here. You just don't have that at the big yeah. box stores. You know? yeah. So that's, it's really, it really is great. Yeah, and unfortunately like, you know, a lot of the, the big box stores, they really start transitioning their nurseries out because they're used to, you know, East Coast or Midwest where like it's too cold. And so right. they stop producing and they stop providing stuff for us when it's our best time to be planting. I saw a redwood tree actually oh. at one of the, and you know, native to the Pacific Northwest. And I thought, well, hope somebody babies that. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't even know how that would make it at all. People, I mean, we have some amazing gardeners in town. Like I'm part of some Facebook groups where people are like trying to grow mangoes and avocado yeah, oh, and like all sorts of crazy stuff. Yeah. So maybe, maybe one of them can get it to work. Pushing but, the limit. Yeah, you gotta really. But yeah, I'm, I'm more of like, let's go native. Let's do the easier thing that we don't have to put quite as much time in. And then it, it helps as far as zero escaping and saving yeah. water and all that. Yeah, stuff. We're, we're in a drought. We've been we're in a mega drought and you know water landscaping is actually one of the biggest water uses for most houses and most of that's for lawns. So anything you can do to reduce the size of your lawn and put you know water friendly native plants is gonna be great for your bill and also for El Paso's water sustainability. It's a big issue. And what are some really quickly because you know you've been doing it for a little while, what are some of the favorites that you have that you might recommend people go check out um, just when you're there? You know, some of the favorites yeah. that you found most reliable most water mm. basically hardier be able to save the most water most heat and cold hardy yeah so people really love all of the sages the salvias um, they tend to be you know two feet to maybe four feet they bloom almost year-round like some of them will even be blooming you know in a, in a cool in a winter that doesn't get too cold okay. like they'll bloom year-round um, really nice plants um, all of the rain sages are really popular. People have to know what they're looking for because if it hasn't rained, then you've got a shrub that doesn't have any flowers, but they have that grayish color that I think is really pretty anyway. Yeah. And a lot of the nurseries actually, are, the, the wholesalers are developing more compact forms. So one of the things that really, really hurts me is when I see the, the rain sages carved into boxes yeah, or circles, like they topiary them. Yeah. And they have such a beautiful shape left natural, but I know a lot of times they get bigger for people's yards. So now there's some compact ones that you can fit into some smaller spaces and they, they don't like a lot of water, so like they more often die because people are overwatering than underwatering. I can see that. Um, so those are really popular, and then people love cactus. I mean, we've been we haven't talked as much about them because we do have so many other plants to highlight. Right. But you know, cactus are, are amazing plants. They've got huge flowers. It's always amazing if you see a cactus flowering. Yeah. It's like it's like a that, regular flower. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that little thing is putting out that flower. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we do we do work with um, some local people to bring in cacti as well. So it'll be something to look forward to at Florafest. All right, we got the UTEP Chihuahuan Desert Gardens. Thank you very much, yeah. Botanical Curator Kevin Floyd, for coming out and basically educating us on a lot of stuff, a lot of options that we actually have to grow here in the borderland that people wouldn't really think about. Thank you again. Thanks.